From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. Each year, the Monthly assembles a panel of critics and artists to nominate 10 standout pieces of Australian culture for the Monthly Awards. The Monthly's editor, Nick Fike, and critic, Alison Crogan, on the works that were recognised in 2019. Well, first of all, Alison, it's the first time we've ever had two people in the studio, so it's feeling nice and cosy. Nick, let's start with the monthly awards themselves, which were featured in the latest issue. What are they? How are they judged? As a magazine, we have these great critics, great connections through the arts and culture industries to actually draw attention to the things that Australian artists and organisations created each year. People like Wesley Enoch and Jonathan Holloway, who are the artistic directors of the Sydney and Melbourne festivals, Uh, critics like Stephanie Bishop, uh, writers Benjamin Law, and we thought if we bring together 25 artists, practitioners, curators, and ask them what they admired and enjoyed the most from the past year, we would be able to collect a sort of curated highlights list across theatre, visual arts, dance, music books, film, TV, and really to just produce a selection of 10. And Alison, you're a critic and one of the judges for this year's monthly awards. You also wrote an essay in this issue about what you call the desertification of Australian arts funding. I actually approached Nick in February, I think, this year with this idea because I was just noticing how much more difficult it was for so many people I know Cultural spending is about 0.5% of the federal budget that takes care of libraries, archives, museums. These are all, I would think, really important parts of our cultural lives. It's quite shocking when you think how important the cultural industries are to the economy. They actually generate a lot of money. It employs, I think, more people than the mining industry, so it's a significant industry and it's treated quite badly. Which is something that we all know, and I think part of what makes the art that is produced in Australia all the more remarkable. Let's go to the film category first. Nick, who won in the monthly awards this year? So the first one was a film called The Nightingale by Jennifer Kent. Her first film uh, a couple of years ago, The Babadook, was a big hit internationally as a sort of a horror film. The Nightingale is set in Tasmanian colonial times. We don't want no trouble. That's just the way, isn't it? You don't want trouble, but sometimes trouble wants you. And it has been a controversial film. It's got some pretty graphic depictions of violence, including sexual violence. But it's also been widely talked about as a really impressive piece of filmmaking. What's your name again? Claire. I'm not your boy. I'm Mangana, the blackbird. I wish, I wish, I wish in vain. It's interesting because the Indigenous theme also carried across into the other film that our panellists selected, which is The Australian Dream, a documentary about the Adam Goods affair, about racism and double standards that drove him out of AFL in 2015. I'd send anyone to it. I think it's a really confounding piece of work. The backlash intensified. Strangled. He knew why it was happening. We need to talk about this. You get what you wish for. Suddenly, he wasn't just Adam Goods, the footballer. He was Adam Goods, the angry Aboriginal. 
you're looking at something as if it's an episode in history and yet it happened two years ago and you think, well, racism is so close to the surface that even something like this is something we've tried to set aside and I think a documentary like this brings these themes to the surface in a way that simple conversations basically miss a lot of the time. I think it's really interesting that those two films kind of capture colonialism. Yeah. Doesn't it show you that these themes are the sorts of themes that artists feel we need to work through in Australia at the moment? We're living in a society with a government that won't accept something like the Uluru Statement where we've been talking about recognition for 10, 15 years. Well, artists are taking it upon themselves to sort through these cultural issues. And I think both of these uh, films are, are great examples of artists sort of doing the hard yards. Let's go now to the theatre category and talk about one of the winners in this area, Barbara and the Camp Dogs, which was performed by the Belvoir Street Theatre. Yes, I saw it at the Malthouse when it had a season here. And it's a a super piece of theatre. It was basically set in a place like a pub. Ursula Jovic performs in in the show, also co-wrote it. It's a story about two sisters. They're half-sisters. They have a very vexed relationship and they go up to Darwin to see their ill mother from Sydney. And so it's a kind of road movie. It's very funny, but it's also heartbreakingly sad in the way that it looks at lateral violence in the Aboriginal community, the ongoing desolation that's caused by our occupation of Australia. Yeah, it was a really fine piece of work. The other theatre piece that uh, our panel recommended this year was a piece called Counting and Cracking, which premiered at the Sydney Town Hall in January this year. So it won seven Helpman Awards, including Best New Australian Work, Best Production and Best Direction. A piece with huge ambitions, 16 actors, 50 characters across four eras. It was a really monumental piece of work. Will you move back home now? I'm, uh... You have been in Bondi for six months? Kuji, Amma, Bondi's full of backpackers. We'll be right back. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. So Nick, next to television, a medium close to your heart, I haven't seen this before, but it's got the whole podcast team talking about it now. Tell us about Bluey. I was thinking, you must be talking about Bluey. I guess it's not the sort of thing that you traditionally see at the top of a high culture, you know, best of the year list, but um, Bluey was this very rare Australian television show 
It was made for kids. It's an animation series. And look, anyone who has children should have a look at this. I enjoy watching it even as an adult. I have children, but uh, they weren't even with me when I watched it. Bluey is <laughs> it's an idiosyncratic, rich, extremely funny series about an animated family of healer dogs. This episode of Bluey is called The Beach! It's just sweet and very funny. Being picked up internationally by the likes of BBC and Disney, it's a great, very positive Australian animation series, completely unique. And the episodes are pretty short. They're about seven minutes, so they're almost like these little bite-sized narratives. Yeah, well, I, I think that's a children's attention span or, or adults on social media <laughs> length attention span. So there's 51 episodes. All right, sounds good. I love it. I'm going to have to look into it more. Um, then there was Get Kraken. What a lot of fun that was. Season two. Which was even more sort of savage than the first one. It's 4.47am and it's time to, to Get, get Kraken. It's a satire of breakfast TV. The hosts, uh, Kate McLennan and Kate McCartney, are these Caucasian, as Ben Law called them, at-sea female hosts. They're really taking the piss out of the sort of patronising and occasionally malignant breakfast TV shows that Australia usually makes. Well, we all want to find a solution to the unfair distribution of domestic labour and restore some kernel of sexual chemistry in our relationships, don't we? Yes, and something that isn't going to do either of those things. Uh, so there's this great line in Get Crackin' where Kate McLennan tells the audience... They're definitely opinions that we're 100% complicit in broadcasting, <laughs> not necessarily right. <laughs> ones that we share. All right, and then, Alison, let's move on now to one of the, the picks that you put forward, which won a monthly award this year, and that was Barry Kosky's version of The Magic Flute. Barry Kosky's a director that I'm always interested in seeing his work. He comes from Melbourne. He worked here in a fairly explosive manner for a few years before he escaped to Berlin. And for this, he was working with 1927, which is a wonderful theatre company that combines animation with performance. They're a really interesting company because they do it in a way that's both charming and clever and also intensely subversive. I mean, The Magic Flute is a charming opera. Let's face it, it always is. It has some of the most famous opera music ever. It's a ridiculous, strange story. And this version of it is totally enchanting, also a little disturbing, I found. I mean, the way it kind of makes absolutely plain how deeply racism is embedded in that opera. But it's very funny, it's sweet. You could just watch it and be enchanted. Alison, the best festival of 2019 was Dance Massive in Melbourne. Tell me about that. So basically three major venues in Melbourne got together and said, oh, why don't we just have a program of dance? So it was the Malthouse, Arts House and Dance House. This year was actually superb. There was Marageku from Broom, who have a fabulous company. The big works from Lucy Guerin and Lucy Guerin. But, yes, it, what, it, what it gives you is a hugely various program of contemporary dance. 
and it creates an event that is not about words. It's one of the things I like about it. It's not about ordinary semantic sense. So to, to have a kind of couple of weeks where you can just go along and, and see a whole lot of established but also new choreographers, what they're doing now is just a fantastic thing. And Nick, let's round out the top ten. Who won in books? It was a book called The White Girl by Tony Birch, who's a Melbourne-based academic author, activist, always has interesting things to say about history. And this is a a book that was uh, set in Australia in the 1960s. It's about the inheritance, the necessary inheritance of strength in Indigenous women, which clearly so many readers found utterly compelling and convincing. And then the in the visual arts category, the winner was the National 2019, which was a multi-site exhibition in Sydney. Yes, yeah, so this is uh, an exhibition that's been happening every two years across the Art Gallery of New South Wales, the MCA and Carriage Works in Sydney of New Australian art, so more than 50 artists and groups, much of it specially commissioned. I mean, look, it's just good to see people wanting to draw attention to contemporary art. And as Alison's essay outlined, it's not a particularly easy time to be a a contemporary visual artist in Australia. The funding for individual artists has dropped precipitously even in the past five years. But a show like this reminds everyone that there is a lot going on. There's a lot of challenging, interesting work. Alison, it's an obvious question, but it's an important one nonetheless. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that there's diminishing space, not only for art creation, but for criticism of the arts in a country like Australia? I think it matters hugely because the arts is one place where things can be thought about in a contemplative way that's not to do with the news media. The arts offers a whole range, an infinity of ways of thinking that are not conditioned in those ways, they are not about sound bites, that are not about just economic figures, but different ways of thinking. And to be able to step back and think, what is it that matters in our lives? What do we value? Well, that's the monthly awards for 2019. Thank you, Nick, and thank you, Alison. Thanks very much. Thank you. Additional audio in this episode from the National 2019 came from Agatha Goethe Snape's work in the exhibition, which was called Every Act of Reading Performs the Work. And the audio from the theatre work Counting and Cracking came from ABC News. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. Winnie Dunn has made a career out of helping others find their literary voice, and now it's her turn in the spotlight. This week on Read This, join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Winnie about her debut. Find it wherever you listen. Elsewhere in the news, fire authorities say a bushfire that has destroyed up to 30 properties in New South Wales may have been deliberately lit. 
The fires have ravaged areas including Bushby's Flat and Rapville, with one person telling The Guardian that they witnessed birds dropping dead out of the sky during the most extreme conditions. Over 100,000 hectares have burned since Tuesday. And bail conditions similar to those used for gang members have been imposed on climate protesters arrested as part of the Extinction Rebellion rallies. 30 people were arrested at the Sydney protests on Monday, including former Federal Green Senator Scott Ludlam. The conditions stopped protesters from contacting other activists or going within two kilometres of the Sydney CBD. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. See you Friday. <laughs> 